And I'll open up to Luke 2, verse 8. If you want to follow along. These become fairly familiar scriptures, but it always amazes me every year when I read them, I see something different. Uh, we'll look at a little bit of that today. So starting in verse 8, we'll just go through 12 uh, for the moment. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So as we look at this, we probably don't think about this because we last night we had some shepherds. I don't know how many shepherds we had, but we had a bunch. Um, had a lot of sheep too, which was nice because if you're going to have shepherds, it's always nice to have some sheep. But uh, shepherds were now and, and then were not looked on as a very good occupation. They were despised. It's the lowest of the low. Um, we even find back in that time when they're seen, if you're a shepherd, you're also a thief. Uh, it was kind of the way they were looked at. Uh, and then the other end of the social scale in Matthew, we have the Magi coming who are kind of the, the royalty. Um, and it, it's part of the, the story of the nativity. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a lowly shepherd, you still need saved from your sin. They'll call his name Jesus. So both came to honor the Messiah of high and low alike. And you, I know it's kind of in vogue to, because of sometimes the way the text is interpreted, that maybe the Magi could not have been there at the night. And I don't know. I mean, I think maybe they could have. I don't know if they were or not. Um, so if you have a nativity scene, I'd go ahead and throw them in there. You know, the possibility is still there. If you want to talk about that sometime, give me a call. Uh, I'll give you my, my thoughts on that. But uh, so shepherds, uh, odd odd for them to come. Uh, it's a little bit like the resurrection appearance accounts. Do you remember who the first person that the resurrected Jesus saw and appeared to? It's a woman. Well, that's not, you know, well, what back then there was places in that, in that uh, culture where women's uh, was not, even their witness wasn't even valid in a court of law, but God didn't care. He's like, her witness is just as good as anybody else's, and that's all he meant. And it's back here, the shepherds. They could say they were all, you know, you know, tipping back on Grandpa's cough medicine or something that night, and, and that was, you know, who knows what they're saying. But, again, God doesn't care. Uh, he's going to use these people the way they are. And you, you, the angel comes in, in showing God's glory, shining. Do you ever wonder... Is that from themselves, or is that coming from God, or both? Um, probably doesn't matter, right? <laughs> but it's kind of interesting to think about. Is it like the moon, you know, how is it like the sun is God with the actual radiant, and then the, the angels kind of reflect that? Or I suppose that's a possibility, but I wonder, because of their character, that they start to shine. Um, it's interesting how that, that works. There's always this glory, this this light shining in the darkness and it must have been quite a deal for them to see that but but they they show themselves so humans can see them they 
so they can respond with confession, worship, and praise, and always showing that uh, to God. You see this back in Isaiah 60. Of, if you get to study Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are very historical and, and, and really cool to, to study. A lot of poetry, a lot of about who God is, and we've already used Isaiah 7 and 9 this Christmas season. But you get to 40, and it changes. There's something different here. It's messianic. It's pointing to things. And you get to 60, and it talks about that light and darkness Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. You know, it's almost like the nativity scene coming in behind there. We see all this light, we see the nations, whether it's the Persian kings that we think come from the east. Uh, but angels show up, and just like with uh, Zachariah and, and Mary, gazing at God's glorious angel terrifies the shepherds. And how do we know that? Because what's the first words out of his mouth? Fear not. Uh, do not fear. Do not be afraid. A quick reassurance, uh, which is we see with all of these. It uh, must have been quite a sight. And I, I like the, you've probably seen different paintings, maybe you have them in your home, of what that might have looked like. You, know, you see different renditions. I, I like the graphic uh, Bible's way of looking at it, very bright. Uh, uh. And what does he come to give? Good news. Good news. You know, good news is the word for gospel. You know, what is the gospel? Well, good news of who? Well, good news of Jesus. I give you good news of great joy. So the gospel elicits joy, not fear. Don't fear, be joyful. You know, that's the thing. We always see, we, we had that when we went through First John, remember that line in chapter 4, perfect love cast out all fear. You know, you wonder when, when the shepherd's fear changed to joy. Was it real fast? Did it take a while? Was this a long encounter? Are we just getting part of it? I don't know. But something changed. You see their demeanor change once they get the information. So what is joy? We talk about peace. We talk about hope, love, faith. Joy is a little different, isn't it? Um, it's not just happiness. Uh, it's this inward feeling of happiness. It's a motion uh, and contentment we see that bursts forth in rejoicing and praise. Uh, I think, you know, that's, I think that's why it, it, you probably notice it's uh, very intentional on our part to give, we, we sing a little bit more, a few more songs during Christmas time. I don't know, because Christmas songs, you only get to sing them in December. So, uh, uh, well, how many, do you guys keep listening to them in January? <laughs> so there's some really weird people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's inter I think that's fine, you know, to go ahead and listen to them uh, if you want. But, you know, I, most of and for Thanksgiving, you start putting it on, you know. And so you want to get as many as you can, and there's so many good ones out there and and God gifts people to make new ones and we, we want to add those in when we can but there's so many good old ones so we try to put as many as we can but the joy in the Bible and what we're talking about here ultimately only comes from a right relationship with God uh, through the Messiah that's the gospel that's the good news of great joy which will be to all people as the angel is saying and it's hard and you Sometimes can't maybe come up with the exact right answer, but I think it's it's very good to think about the characters in the Bible and hear the shepherds. The joy probably came from the fact that God saw them important enough to send an angel to talk to them. 
I mean, I hope it wasn't, you know, I don't think they got cocky about it, but they, it had to, had to make you feel pretty good, right? It came to us, you know. You know, I, I wonder later if they said, Did, you know, were you there? Well, you, I was there. You know, you, you wonder how that all worked. But so God brushes aside the world's fears, just like he did the shepherds and provides the world with a reason for joy. Now we have evidence to be joyful. Uh, and joy is hard to conjure up, right? Um, feelings are tough. You know, sometimes we feel good, sometimes we feel bad. Um, but I think that word joy helps us that God does help us with our emotions in a sense of helping us maybe feel that even in the midst of sorrow. And who knows uh, as we go through the Christmas season. And you see it in Isaiah 9. Uh, this is right before the wonderful counselor, mighty father, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the increase of his government will be no end. Right before that, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest. It's That's in the Old Testament, too, the idea that God does something and that gives us joy. So joy is usually the reaction to something. If you're joyful for no reason, it's a little weird, right? A little odd. You know, you, you get joyful, emotional, in a positive way because of something. And obviously this is pretty cool when you have angels show up. And... You, I kind of knew this, but it didn't kind of hit me until I was doing the sermon. It's like, you know, at first it's just one angel. You know, we sing about the heavenly host, but at first it's just one. And, of course, you wonder who it is. In the, in the, in the graphic Bible back there, it's, it looks like it's Gabriel again. Um, uh, we don't know. But, and then suddenly, it says, uh, there was with the angel a plethora of heaven. No, it's multitude. Uh, now you know what a plethora is, I guess. Enough. Enough angels. Um, now, it looks like they're already there, and then they just kind of appear to me. We don't know uh, how that all works, but that it's an interesting thing to think about, right? That angels, and you know, I'm not trying to get too eerie here, but angels maybe are here, we just don't see them. And you don't see them very often uh, because they're spirit. They, there's something has to happen before they appear. We talked a little bit about this when we talked with Zechariah when Gabriel appears in the temple. You know, Gabriel could have been sitting there for 20 minutes. It's like, all right, see me now. You know, I don't know how that works. Um, he gives them what they need. But all of a sudden, you've got, it had to be quite a sight, right? As far as we know, other than the book of Revelation, this is the only time anybody saw this many angels at once. Well, there's one other time, and we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, this is not a normal occurrence. And who's seeing these? Yeah, these crooked shepherds, you know, <laughs> the, the, the lowest of the low uh, coming in. But there was a time when we get a little bit of this. Why do I say that? Why, you know, does it matter? I mean, I don't think we want to get too worried about it, but God uses what he wants, and if he wants to use angels, he can, and obviously, oftentimes, we don't see them. But back in Second Kings, Elisha, who is the one that Elijah trained up, so Elijah has gone into heaven in the whirlwind, which would be kind of a, you always say, what way do you want to go? And I, I say, well, in my sleep, you know, that would be kind of good. But I think I'd like that chariot fire thing. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, as long as I had a nice flame retarded suit on, I guess. But, but that's kind of neat, you know, Elijah uh, go doing that. But Elisha, they're in this town, and his servant is there. And Elisha seems like, hey, we're going to be good. Don't worry. And the servant is just really, really worried because the army's there. They're coming in. They're going to kill them. 
And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So they were already there, right? Elisha saw them, the young man didn't, and that gives us a little bit of information about, you know, how long were these angels hanging out before they could be seen by the sh I don't know. Uh, in some ways it doesn't matter, I guess, but in other ways I think when we think of angels, and we'll look a little bit more at them here in the middle of the sermon, uh, it's God's choice to use them, why he uses them, that's up to him, but I think it might give us a little bit of security to think that that's there for us in the way he wants. So, so what happens is God reveals his brilliance that shepherds could recognize. They could see him, uh, which had to be a, quite an experience for them, for sure. And then we get this song. It's a saying, whether it was a song or not, uh, we don't know. But um, I got to think the angels could sing pretty well. Do you ever wonder if there's angels that were off tune? I mean, you always wonder, it's like, you be quiet when we're singing this, because you always, uh, how they can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know, I don't know, I don't know how that works, but I always thought the angels probably were pretty good singers, but this is patterned after Psalm 148, you see a lot of this come in here, see Isaiah in here too, with the, the angel at the beginning, but Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, the highest, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. Well, what do you have here? <laughs> you have the angels praising. You have the hosts of angels praising. Which a host is not, a, a host always makes me think of Twinkies. I don't know why, but um, that's hostess, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, but host is the word for army, and it doesn't always get translated that way. Um, uh, this is maybe a choir army, but, uh, but, uh, but you think about this. This is, this is patterned after that. They're, they're, they've probably been singing this for a long time. Uh, and this is where we get in excelsis Deo, that's highest, you know, praising God in the highest. This is the same term we get in Latin that we see here in English. Uh, so what we see is angels recognize the worth and weight of, of God's presence and praise him for it. Uh, and I doubt they were bored. You know, if you, I don't know if any of the songs have hit you today, maybe they will, the ones we do, but you know, when you sing a song that's, especially the Christmas songs, the ones that are about Jesus or, or just any Christian song, you know, when it's one you really like, you like the tune, you like the words, it's really hitting you, you're not bored, are you? And if you're, you're like me, you, you're hitting that replay button is not boring, is it? It's like, you know, if you ever don't like repeat, it's because you don't like the song, <laughs> because there's anything wrong with repeating it. It's the idea, are you feel like you're in the presence of God and, and praising? It doesn't look like the angels are bored here. It's like, you know, I, I got a racquetball thing coming up here, so let's get this over with. You know, this is what they do. So what happens here? God gets the glory. That's always true. You know, they're saying glory to God in the highest, not glory to us, uh, angels or, or people. People get peace. That's the way it's supposed to work. God in heaven, people on earth. That's the way we are now. We can still get that, which is very, very good. But we want to look at a few more here on this last sermon about angels. Some more additional facts about angels. This is one that bothers people. Um, so I thought maybe we'd talk about it a little bit. Angels do not marry. 
Um, they're not even really given a gender, although it's always, uh, I don't want to get into that, <laughs> enough of that in the news, uh, but they're, they're always masculine pronouns and stuff. But uh, Jesus taught that resurrected people neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. This was, if you remember, this is when the Sadducees are trying to trick him and this lady, you know, marries this Jewish guy and then he dies and he marries the next brother and he marries the next brother. And, and so who does she, is she a wife of in the resurrection? Which is interesting because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. But, but uh, he said they're like the angels. They don't, but people worry about this. You know, you think about, oh, I want to be with my spouse, you know, and all that. I wouldn't worry about that. I think this is just talking about procreation, in my opinion. Um, the idea that, yeah, the relationship will still be there, probably be better. Uh, it'll be unique. Uh, it's just that you don't have the same reasons for marriage. We think angels were created. That's what it seems like, and they don't procreate. So that's, that's the deal. So don't worry about that. If your spouse is gone, it'll still be a really, really good relationship, better than it was here. Um, if it's not so good, l let's try to clean it up. And it will get better. How's that? Uh, we can do well there. And you can look at those scriptures to, to see that. Uh, and angels are examples. We see that here. They're praising God. They, they, you know, Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we, that's the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer. We pray that all the time. But think about, in heaven, God's will is done by angels. You see this in the book of Revelation. You see it in, in Ezekiel. You see a little bit here. They do God's will immediately, joyfully, and without question. So they're kind of an example for us. It's like, and again, and not bored. They're delighted to be God's humble servants, faithful performing their assigned task, great or small. So if we want to have the kingdom of on earth like it is in heaven, then we should be doing the same thing. We should try to emulate what they do. All glory goes to God. Let's feel joyful as we be obedient. All those types of stuff. That, uh, that the angels do. So I think they're good examples for us. They're obedient all the time, and they desire that, that we will do the same. Yeah, we have that verse that said, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. You know, that's why. That's uh, because they're, they want to do the things that praise and honor God. Angels worship the Lord. They do that. That's, you get that in the book of Revelation. We had that a couple weeks ago. Looks like that's all they're doing. Now, if I think about that, and you, if you're honest, and maybe it's the way we define worship, if we did this 24-7 all the time, would you get bored? Probably. Probably bored already. <laughs> Everybody's awake, I think. That's good so far. It's different up there, I think. <laughs> so, you know, we get a pinprick of that once in a while. We get things that hit us, but... It's different. You know, sin is gone. We can see him more clearly. Uh, but I think it, again, shows us what we have to look forward to uh, experiencing. Again, really doesn't it come down to relationships. You know, our relationship with the Lord and relationship with each other, that's what we get now. That's the most important thing. Will be the most important thing in heaven is that's the treasures, I think. Uh, and, you know, angels not only obey and submit, they also worship him. You get this in Nehemiah 9. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, and earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Worship is the response back to God for his glory. It's a praise response. 
And then you get this in Hebrews. This is talking about Jesus. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said that all the angels worship him. There are some pseudo-Christian cults in our midst that say Jesus is not divine, that he was important uh, and that he was a, a great teacher uh, and somebody we need to listen to, but he's not God. Well, I would say this says another time, as hundreds of times in the New Testament, that it sure seems like he this says he's God, that all the angels worship the Supreme Son. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? It's not really that hard. Uh, the angels submit to him, which is, is kind of cool. Angels, in, I, angels interviewing for true followers of Yahweh. Maybe not all the time, but I don't, Psalm 34, we, we sang a song, I think it was called The Lord is a Warrior. That was been years ago. But uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Uh, that certainly was true in the Old Testament. I think it's true now. I mean, I think we, we, we pray for protection. We pray for God to protect our soul, right? And I think the angels can, can help us with that. But you look at some of the things the angels did, both in the Old and the New Testament. One single angel struck down the entire army of Assyria and delivered God's people from them in Second Kings. Now we have, in this story, you guys remember the word, right? We have a plethora of angels here. We have a host of angels. One of them took out all of the Syrian army. You know, you know why and when they depict these in the graphic novel that they're just these imposing figures? Because of what they can do. Uh, an angel of God shut the lion's mouth. We kind of forget that in the Daniel story. Uh, the uh, able to protect Daniel in that case. You know, could God have shut their mouths in other ways? You know, put some bailing wire around there. I don't know, whatever. He used angels. I, well, I don't know. You think Daniel could see the angels? Doesn't really say. But if he could, would that be comforting? It's like, you know, I think I'll take a nap because that dude has that lion's mouth taken care of. Yeah, I mean, it, it had to give some assurance. And the angel opened the prison doors for Peter. Want anybody else that wanted to go out? Kind of cool. Uh, they they do this, so they intervene all the time. No, but when God wants them to, we have plenty of uh, examples. Angels carry out the judgment of God. This one's not as fun. Uh, you go to Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, "Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God." They go out and and do that. Uh, you've got God sending an angel in in first. Chronicles 21, to punish Jerusalem. It's a kind of an interesting story. If you want to read First Chronicles 21, that's when Satan, uh, the adversary, tempts David to do a census, even though God told him not to. And he does that, and then God comes to him through a prophet and says, you got three choices of which punishment you want, which is not fun, because they're all not good. Uh, and the angel carries out some of the judgment, but then there's repentance and stays his hand some. And the angel of the Lord took King Herod's life in Acts 12. Um, not sure why he doesn't do that more in world leaders, but uh, I guess that's up to him on, on when to do that. Uh, well, and you think we had that in our Bible study today. You think about what the angel 
of the last plague in Egypt. There's one angel. Remember what the angel's name was? The angel of death. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Was that Gabriel, you think? I don't know. I'm not trying to make that. But one angel, and then you had the blood on the doorpost, and then it, he would pass over if he saw the blood of the lamb. Um, so one angel doing all this. Um, angels may go unnoticed. In fact, most of the time they probably do. But this, this verse in Hebrews 13 is kind of interesting. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I don't know if I've ever heard any stories about that, but that's, that's interesting, you know. Uh, you get that. Uh, obviously, these angels have to take some sort of form, right? It may be talking about what Abraham did with the angels that came that did the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, but um, I think most of the time they go unnoticed. Angels were subject to judgment themselves. How did they become fallen angels or holy angels? Second Peter's making a, a, a case that those who go against the gospel will be punished. And he says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Then he goes on and makes his case. If he didn't spare angels, he's not going to spare people. Uh, so this is just a little bit of information about the angels were subject to judgment. And our belief is, I think, the kind of the orthodox biblical way of looking at this is that happened in the past. And so the Michaels and the Gabriels and the host that's here, they've, they've made their choice. They're now holy. They're incorruptible. And that's another way we'll be like them. You ever think about that? People say, well, we have free will now, so we can sin or not sin. But what about in heaven? Are we going to have free will? Do you have to sin to have free will? Or could your nature be changed to be like an angel that you don't have the sin nature anymore and your free will is only going to be honoring to God? You can still go where you want, do what you want, but your nature is changed to be like the angels, as Jesus said. I think that answers that question. You can have free will. Does God have free will? Can he do what he wants? Does he sin? No. Does that take away his free will? No, it's, it's, it's against his nature. He, he's not who he is. It's not, he's holy and pure, and we get that. We get what's called glorified. Right now, if you're a believer, you're justified, so you're seen as blameless before God. But in, when you are transformed, as it says in, in the twinkling of an eye, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, we get a glorified body, and now there's no more corruption. That's pretty cool, you know, a nature change like the angels to some extent. So, let's finish up our text. So, I hope you've learned some about angels. There's a lot of misinformation out there. and We just kind of skimmed the surface. Uh, verse 15. When the angels went away from them, that's the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the angelic presence doesn't last forever. 
you know, you, 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 don't have, you can raise your hand if you want, uh, but have you had a mountaintop experience, you know, a time when you just feel really close to God? It could be on a mountaintop, could be in a valley, I don't know. Could be in the middle of a song in a worship service. Could be out gardening and you just feel close to God. I don't know. But you have those mountaintops, but they don't last, do they? You come off the mountain. Uh, and I, same thing here. I mean, it had to be pretty cool feeling to see these angels. And, you know, I could see myself saying, hey, you guys want to come with? You know, in case we see any bad guys, you know, you, know, you could kind of shine and get rid of them. Uh, you ever think about that with Mary and Joseph? You know, Mary has Gabriel come to her. Uh, Joseph is going to get a couple other dreams, as you see in Matthew, but uh, of an angel uh, warning him, you know, get out of Bethlehem, Herod's dead, get, go back to Nazareth. Uh, but the angels leave, uh, and you you got to respond. You know, you, you wonder how uh, or why. We don't know that an angel, another angel ever appeared to Mary or Joseph after this. Uh, we, we, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, they, they might be there, and, we, and God gives us what we need, uh, but how do you respond? What'd they do? They made an immediate decision to go to Bethlehem to see what God had reported to them, which is kind of cool. You know, I know it wasn't an angel, but remember when Herod found out in, in Matthew 2 that the, the Magi were following, trying to find this king, and that he was going to be in Bethlehem? Did Herod run off to see him? No. No, you guys go do that, you know. These shepherds were, hey, we're going, we're going. And maybe the angel thing's part of it. But they run off. To, they believe it. They believe what they're seeing. And that's the thing we always have to remember when God speaks, whether it's through an angel or directly to someone in the Bible, it's never ambiguous on what he says. It's not like the shepherds sat here and said, oh, I think he said Bethlehem. Or did he say Bethel? Are we supposed to go now? You know, it is time for lunch or supper. Um, you know, th there was no ambiguity on what the information was. And that's what you always have to remember, that it's very clear when God speaks. Well, why would he speak and give us riddles? You know, he gives us the information we need. So they're going to go do what God... And he saw what we see is the beginning of God's most important work in the face of the baby lying in the manger. Uh, and that was enough for them, you know? What do you think Jesus told them when they went? What does an infant that's one day old or just born say? Nothing. Or wah. You know, I mean, it's, it was the, the angels. That, that's what gave them the information. Uh, but they made known what had been told to them about the child. They had to share the story. Uh, you see that with new believers sometimes. It's kind of fun. You can't shut them up. <laughs> it's just, or people who have those mountaintop experiences. You just can't, and you don't want to shut them up. I don't mean that. But, you know, sometimes I wish, you know, you could feel that all the time so we wouldn't shut up about it, you know, that we would be willing to continue. And I think sometimes it just takes that joy, that, that encounter again to get us, hey, this is really cool. Can I tell you about it? And that's what they're doing. And you see this one word in verse 18 that all were amazed. That was the word that characterize their audience almost like seems it seems like they're believing these guys but then you have mary here again she kind of did this earlier in when gabriel talked to her very similar words 
Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She was probably still amazed, but she'd already know that this who this kid was. It's just kind of nice to get some affirmation. Uh, and one of the things we, we think is true, I think from scholarship, that Luke most likely used Mary as one of his sources. It would make sense, wouldn't it, that Luke would go to her and say, you tell me how that stuff worked? That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not involved. I mean, don't, don't, you know, we believe that the, the, the Holy Spirit carries along the person and Luke uses Luke's uh, personality and talents and gifts, but yet make sure that the words we get are exactly the words that we're supposed to have. Um, just as kind of a commercial message, uh, the next three sermons starting, we'll go over the, the New Year's, are going to talk about why can we trust the Bible. And we'll talk about that a little bit, about why... As a community of faith, we have such a strong view in the, in the reliability of, of Scripture um, because, you know, God gives it to us. But she ponders it, them in her heart. What does that mean? She's kind of going to remember this stuff. She's going to keep it, uh, and even though she's amazed, she's recording this, and maybe so she can tell Luke later. I don't know. Uh, but it's kind of cool. Uh, how is this going to play out? We know the rest of the story, right? We can read the rest of the book. She didn't. Do you ever wonder if Mary understood that her son was going to have to die at this time? I don't know. I don't know if she really understood it toward in his ministry. But where is she when he dies? She's there. I don't know if she completely understands, but she's there. And I think that's true. You know, you get people at Christmas time that show up, and maybe some of you are that way, where you're you're kind of I want to believe, but I don't know, and and. But you don't have to understand everything. Just there's something here. You look for it. You know, focus on the on Jesus, and uh, you'll get what you need. But it comes to us in different ways at different times. And I think God will give us if we if we seek Him, we will find Him, as the as the Bible says. So, so what do they do? They turn back toward their jobs. A new song of praise in their heart and I wonder if it was Psalm 148 I wonder uh, we know in ancient uh, Israel uh, a lot of times that's what they did they sung psalms uh, going to Jerusalem coming back from Jerusalem and probably when they worked but so what God had said God did they found the baby exactly as and then they returned to their sheep now they, we never hear about these guys again always wonder we did that in one of our productions i don't know if you remember that but we took uh, a shepherd boy and we end up turning him in one of the 12 disciples <laughs> james the lesser i think you know it's just conjecture we don't know but it is kind of interesting that that we don't hear about the you know 30 years later when jesus comes on the scene or these guys hey that's that kid that was born in bethlehem and we had those glowing guys come and then more glowing guys you know, I, I don't know. You know, we don't know how that all worked. You know, so we don't hear about them, but they're never going to be forgotten every every year and about every church. Yeah. They keep getting shorter, though, the shepherds, I've noticed, but and younger, which is probably true. But we, we, we never forget them because it's such an important part of the account that God would stoop down to these people who were not looked on as anybody important. And I think it's good for us, this... Uh, really is something to think about 
if you're struggling with that, if you think you're not important enough for God to see, you are. And he came uh, for you too. I think the shepherd account helps us with that. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for being there for the kings, the magi, uh, even Herod, and for the lowest of the low, the people who were looked on as not being worthy of of having you come to them. We thank you for showing us that and not just sending one angel, but a whole army to let the shepherds know that you love them. We thank you. You come to all of us this Christmas season. Amen.